Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now on scene with the LEO Sideshow, the one and only podcast that opens the discussions about what police do and why they do it. We are bringing a fresh new look on the relationship between the police and the public. Now for the part in our show where we must give you a legal disclaimer. Spoiler alert, people in the United States sue other people for just about anything. So therefore, the topics being discussed in the LEO Sideshow are merely the opinions of the hosts and their guests. These topics and discussions are in no way intended to be legal advice for your specific area or incident. Please consult with your local attorney or your local district attorney's office or your local police department for your specific laws and ordinances in your jurisdiction. All right, welcome to the Elio Sideshow, and smile, because this episode, you are on candid camera. <laughs> Not really, but uh, if anybody is old enough to remember the old TV show, and I think they actually tried to reboot it in like 2014, we have nothing to do with that TV show. But the sense of candid, where we're talking about the spontaneous video and spontaneous actions caught on video... That's what we're talking about today, how it relates to the body-worn camera that police have uh, been told to use and have kind of widely implemented since 2014, the body camera. Uh, we're going to talk about the evolution of it, the rush that happened in 2014 for it to be instituted, and the problems that arose because of that, and where we're at today. Yeah. So. And uh, welcome back to the show. Obviously, we we started, and uh, the episode for this one is going to be an audio and visual scorecard, and why that relates to uh, what we call BWCs, which stands for body worn camera. Is there are pros and cons? It's a debated topic. There's a lot of intricacies and policies and uh, ideologies that come with body worn cameras, and. In this episode, we're going to go down our usual list, but we're going to give you some information related to the background of it for those that may not have a, quite the understanding. But before we get into the main topic, we're going to get into our police word of the day. What today, is today's word? Today's word is hearsay. H-E-A-R-S-A-Y. Okay. The dictionary. You know, I saw that you wrote this down in our show notes, and the first thing I thought you wrote was heresy. <laughs> no. And I thought, what in the heck are we talking about heresy? I mean, I thought maybe it would have a, a part because I think heresy is like just having an opinion that's kind of against the grain. Or, no. You know, also the religious definition, but no. So, most of the audience, if, if you're not a law enforcement officer, has definitely heard the word hearsay. It's been it's in court, it's in movies, it's in basic general uh, topics. Um, but for those who don't no. And more specifically, the dictionary definition is information received from other people that one cannot adequately substantiate, such as a rumor. Okay. And the 
hearsay was eventually brought into the court system because it was to prevent actual gossip from coming into the courtroom. All right. And the law definition is the report of another person's words by a witness, which is usually disallowed as evidence in a court of law. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because if you're in that hot seat, being the defendant, being accused of whatever, whether that is, you know, I shot my gun in the air on New Year's Eve or I was saw, seen getting out, getting in my car and uh, after leaving the bar and I'm drunk, that you don't want to be sitting in that hot seat and have somebody testify against you that some person who is nobody knows who they are, where they are, they might provide a name, but you don't want to be sitting there and not have to to be able to question them. You want to be able to have them sit in that uh, that seat for the uh, what's it called here? What am I looking for? The where, you, where the people go up and testify. The witness chair. Yeah, the witness stand. There we go. So stands. You don't chair. you don't want them to go up there. You want them to go up there into the witness stand and sit there, get sworn in, so that you can ask them questions about what they're accusing you of. I know. No. I don't, I don't yeah. know. And now, most importantly for this to understand, hearsay is not allowed, except. There are like 30 exceptions to the hearsay rule. There is 30 exceptions. When I, when I was looking this up to get prepared for this episode, uh, I want to say there's 30, over 30 exceptions in the federal hearsay rule book. Okay. And so in practical speaking, hearsay is, I'll give an example. So uh, I'm a witness to a crime. Okay. I go up and onto the witness stand, even though you sit in a chair, you, you swear in. You stand where you swear and you sit down in the chair and the, uh, the district attorney is going to ask you questions. Okay. And you're going to say, yeah, I, I witnessed this. I observed this. I heard the defendant say this, which is allowed because it's the defendant and you heard what that defendant stated. But then you go and say, oh, yes. And John Smith said this about the defendant. Okay. Well, that's not allowed because we don't have John Smith here. All right. You can't testify to what someone else said about the defendant. In general speaking, what uh, what what amendment are we talking about here that that protects people for that? From that? we're talking about the Sixth Amendment. One, two, three, four, five, six. The Sixth Amendment. So what's that say? You have the right to face your accuser. Your accuser. Ask them yeah. questions. Cross-examine them. Because think about it. Back in the day, maybe uh, I don't know. Was like, maybe because we we brought up the Sixth Amendment and had our forefathers bring this up and write it in our Constitution. And uh, I'm guessing that this used to be a problem. Of John Smith down the road said that you stole my crops or something. I don't know what it is, right. but if you and if you actually when we, when we were doing the research for this, when you actually look at the history of it, the the hearsay rule was actually like I said instituted because we're trying to prevent rumors and gossip from occurring. Mm, okay. Right. We have to actually, you know, question the, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for of it, credibility of a witness. Mm. So, uh, that was the reason it was, it was put in. Now, again, there were numerous exceptions to the hearsay rule, but in general speaking, I can't testify to what someone else said about the defendant. So that's yeah. basically what it narrows down to. So for instance, as a police officer, I can't 
testify to what Officer Frank witnessed or what he observed. Um, and hearsay isn't just word. It can be uh, observations. It can be written language. It can be documents. It can be letters, stuff like that. So that's kind of the basic gist of hearsay uh, and how it applies in a regular court of law. So, uh, Frank, we we spent some time on the police word of the day, as usual with the episodes. Now we usually provide some type of case study. And what's this week's uh, case study? This week's case study is CATS, spelled with a Z, K-A-T-Z, V, the United States. And this was, <clears throat> excuse me, this was a pretty cool case because it had to deal with a Fourth Amendment uh, unlawful seizure. So what the FBI was doing is they had a uh, they had an investigation going across multiple state lines with Mr. Katz, who was a, I guess, I don't know if you call him a bookie or either way. He, 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 made yeah, he, he set up bets and helped make bets. And I mean, right. yeah, he's basically a bookie. So what Katz was doing was he would uh, go out to a public payphone call around and place these bets all around the United States. He'd call yeah. Miami. He'd mind call mind you, this was like 1965. So, hey, they had in a yeah, so they had like, like 10 cents, five, five cents to make the call. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so Katz was out there and he's, he's making his calls. Well, the FBI figures this out. So what does the FBI do? They bug the phone, they record the, his phone calls and they make this great case against Katz and they win the case. And what does Katz do? He raises his hand. Hey, I'm appeal. I'm appealing this. Well, the appeal got shot down as it went up through the levels. He kept appealing, and finally, it reached the 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 Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court decided what was the uh, it was like seven to one, which is seven pretty, to one, pretty much of a landslide. Yeah, saying that Katz's reasonable expectation of privacy was violated, and therefore the case was thrown out. So basically was there's what they decided as the Supreme court, they said that anybody going to a public telephone, even though the police say, Hey, it's a public place. You shouldn't have any expectation of privacy there. The Supreme court said that cats did have an expectation of privacy when he talked and had his voice transmitted over those phone lines. He did not believe that anybody else was listening or recording. And I gotta say, I, I agree with that. Like when I'm talking on the phone to my wife, I don't expect anybody to be listening to me. What are you guys talking about? Probably I gotta do the dishes. <laughs> why didn't I why did I leave my clothes alongside the bed? I don't know. So but uh Frank, I actually just thought of this. There's nothing when exciting. I, That's <laughs> <for sure. laughs> when I was when I was looking at the uh decision, it was seven to one, and I'm like thinking to myself. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. So for those who are not familiar, the Supreme Court actually has nine judges. Okay. So, I mean, we're, we're uh, LEOs and we're not uh, mathematicians, but last time I checked, seven to one makes eight. Uh, but I just did the research on it and it actually says that uh, newly appointed Justice Thurgood Marshall recused himself from the case to avoid a conflict of interest. Because as a previous solicitor general, I think this was the state of California, wasn't it? He yeah. auth authored the U.S. government's brief in opposition to Katz prior to his appointment in the Supreme Court. So, no way. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. So that was actually a 
uh, good thing that he did accuse himself from the case. But anyway, so in, in, in general, uh, you know, you, you have a reasonable expectation of privacy when you're making a phone call and the, the, to differentiate the, they didn't rule that the phone booth was technically the place where you would have a reasonable expectation of privacy. They ruled that the phone call in and of itself was so, all they had to do was get a search warrant, which based on the information they already had, they probably would have been granted and they would have had a rock solid case. But that sort of plays into what our topic's going to be about as far as recording and our recordings are audio and visual or sometimes just visual. Yeah, actually, we get into that because that actually becomes a a problem in a couple different states with yeah. uh, how they have consents uh, lined up with audio recording. So today's topic, like I mentioned, the title of the episode is, uh, I believe it's an audio and visual scorecard. And what we mean by that is there are so many factors that go into body, body-worn cameras, what we call BWCs, as far as audio, visual, pros of them, the cons of them, the issues you face as far as financials, as far as the law. And we're going to get into some of the... Uh, headlining topics and newsworthy information and, and take a, as much of an objective view that we can provide with information uh, that we're familiar with. So, Frank, you want to talk about the beginnings of recording the police? Yeah, I mean, we're not going back crazy or actually like we're, we're going to go back pretty far, but we're not going to go deep into this. So we've all seen the movie... I'm sorry, the TV show Cops, Bad Boys, right? The music theme. Uh, we've seen some terrible, terrible, grainy dash cam video of police. And all that began around 1981. So we're talking like 20, 30, 30, 30 some years ago. Eons ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you are if you were born before 1981, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may have just lost most of the audience. That's okay. <laughs> so, uh, no, but so that's where it all started. And the body-worn camera, and the reason why we call it a body-worn camera is because it's somewhere on your body. Over the years, I can remember back in 2009, they were playing around with having body cameras attached to like glasses they have been attached to uniforms and belts and tasers and over the years there have been different forms of it uh we first saw body worn cameras in the police field in 1998 but they were expensive the storage was crazy expensive uh the equipment was bulky it just was not a good time so as we have uh, technology increase and as the speed and the storage gets faster and slower, I'm sorry, faster and more and the uh, equipment gets smaller and more advanced. Now in 2014-ish, the police field was ripe for getting these body cameras and it just so happened to be the same time as some major nationwide incidents that kind of pushed body cameras into mainstream policing to where every police department or most police departments were pressured to buy body cameras like ASAP. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with some of those major cases, you know, the ones that come off, 
come to the top of the head are obviously the Michael Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri, the Freddie Gray case in uh, Baltimore City. Uh, these were major, major police incidents. And we actually have this thing called the Ferguson effect uh, ever since uh, that Michael Brown incident where police departments were urged by politicians, news media, the general public, hey, why aren't you guys wearing body cams? Okay. And there was, like Frank said, there was this major rush for police departments and officers to get outfitted with them. Okay. Now, in some cases with that, they kind of put the cart before the horse. And what we mean by that is, okay, we need to get these body cams. Okay, we have them. Now, what do we do? <laughs> there yeah. were no, there were no policies in place. Uh, there was no, you know, thinking two steps ahead. Hey, what are we going to do with all the storage? Number, how are we going to pay for these? These aren't cheap, you know. Well, even even like I know with our agency, we we got the the body cameras, and then everything was going well. We actually got uh, then the money was helped contributed from an outside firm to to get us outfitted with these body cameras. And then we ran into the storage problems because the person who paid for our body cameras or the agency or the, whatever you call it, the firm that gave a big donation for our body cameras, they didn't pay for us to store all the video. They didn't pay for us to do the research to, you know, find out how to make policies, how to, when to release to the media, when to release to the public. And, all that stuff. So there was this, this push. It was, it was good in my opinion to, for us to get these body cameras, but it could have slowed down a little bit more. Yeah. So with these major police incidents, one of the, the front runners for it was social media. So, I mean, if you remember the Ferguson, Missouri case, social media, all these accusations about the police line covering things up, you know, where's the video to support this documentation. And if, you know, there came this narrative about hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot. And then you hear, I mean, what was it, Frank, months later when the actual uh, attorney's yeah, office yeah, came out and actually said like, no, that's not what happened at all. In fact, we have like 50 witnesses, black and white, that, discount the, hands the up, don't uh, shoot. yeah the hands up don't shoot narrative provided by michael brown's friend who was there and is alleged to have seen this um so you know you couple that with all the information this pushback towards police this false narrative that you know police are constantly lying and it's just it's been a detriment to us in court, you know, they expect a video for everything. Like, you know, what happened to when police officers, you know, we have this thing called an oath. So when we go to testify in court, we have to swear in and we have to tell the truth. And lo and behold, there are plenty of times where we go to court after the fact and there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, I don't remember, or I don't recall because that's being truthful. If you don't know it, you don't know it. Yeah. And, but the thing is like back, you know, going back to this time where uh, all this, these national incidents were happening, a lot of, a lot of us in our agency and across the United States, you know, the police were infuriated on, in how we were being portrayed and how we were being treated. 
And there was a bunch of us who said, you know, bring on body cameras, bring them out. I mean, like, I have no problem getting a body camera out. And, you know, we're dealing with many, many different types of incidents, all different types of sex, race, religion. And I can tell you that, you know, we have no issues with, with any of that. So bring on the body cameras. So, you know, the police, uh, some police wanted the body cameras, the media wanted body cameras. We had the chief and the commissioners, the public officials wanted body cameras. And so a lot of agencies went out and got them. Uh, there were some who were smart about it and slowed down and waited for their district attorney or some other uh, legislation come down to you know prove body cameras or at least iron out some of the questions that uh, arose during this time, which was smart. But either way, most of most everybody at this time wanted police body cameras, and it got to the point where if you didn't have a body camera, they thought you had something to hide. Yeah, or you were seen you, or you were seen as a police department that's not you know moving into the future, or you're not as skilled as other police departments. When in reality, maybe that police department could have been smarter because, hey, let's think about this for a second and get our ducks in a row before we go out. We invest this large amount of money in body cam program without knowing all the facts. So so, uh, the first thing, obviously, that we had to do as a department, uh, and I'm using ours as an example, is we had to create a policy. So for those who don't understand, every police department, or they should, most of them do is they have policies for everything. Okay. And a lot of your policies have to mimic statutory laws. Okay. So each state's going to have their own laws as far as wiretapping, which we discussed in cats versus United States. Um, and so you have these organizations, you have ACLU, international association chiefs, please IACP, uh, ACLU again is American civil Liberties Union, uh, Police One, they all started to create these examples of policies for agencies to use and adopt as their own, okay? But then uh, that was just one little thing that had to get solved and and initiated before they could put it into place. But again, other problems started to arise, you know, as more and more departments started to take this idea of body cams head on. there are still problems that arose. And another one of those was transparency. So transparency as far as ongoing investigations. And this has actually come to light in a lot of the national spotlight on major incidents because the police chiefs and commissioners are faced with a daunting task of, you know, I have an officer involved shooting. Do I release? And there's body cam footage. Or there may not be body cam footage. Do I release? Let's say say there is body cam. Okay. So let's say there is body cam footage. Do I release the video? Okay. So why why yeah, okay. So I'm I'm citizen, I'm the public, and you know, my friend was just shot. So, you know, I'm hearing all these different stories about what's going on. I want the police department to release the video right now. It just happened yesterday. I want you to release the the video. Obviously, it's it could be an officer involved shooting, it could be someone was killed something like that and someone who's close to that victim has a lot of you know emotions going on well they're going to rely hey the police aren't releasing this video they're hiding something i want the police to release the video because that video is going to show the exact truth frank is that is that necessarily the case 
Well, the police department probably also wants to release the video, but right. we as the police have a duty to conduct a fair and good investigation about and what actually happened. Fair and impartial. Impartial. So even so a lot of agencies will hand off a police uh, officer involved shooting to a higher agency. So maybe a state police, maybe a attorney general's office, somebody else that uh, so that they're not investigating themselves or major and, like major departments like right. NYPD have their own unit that that investigates these. Right. So they have to they have to conduct this fair and impartial and thorough investigation about what happened. And they treat it just like any other crime. And this is something that police and citizens need to be aware of, is that even if a police officer is justified in using their weapon and taking somebody's life, it is investigated like a homicide. And then it is determined by an attorney general or some other uh, law enforcement officer, like some top dog law enforcement officer, that the shooting was justified or not so the same thing goes with before this body camera is released they don't want to uh taint they they, they want to make sure that they have all their witnesses interviewed and not have seen this video and have a tainted view of actually what happened they want to conduct this investigation just like any other homicide investigation and releasing this video might hurt the investigation which might be beneficial for the officer it may not be beneficial for the officer but either way they have to take this seriously and uh i think you mentioned before the show began that another reason why they don't want to show this video is you have the right to an impartial and uh jury yeah so there may be a reason why it would be beneficial for you the defendant for the police not to release the video. So let's say there is a justifiable allegation of a use of force violation or police brutality or excessive force. We're talking about that. And there's a video that may or may not support this, okay? Which you, as the defendant, have a legal right if you want to sue the police in a civil court or even bring potential criminal charges, that video may taint your uh lawsuit or uh trial you know it may be beneficial to the police it may be beneficial to you uh but you as the person uh, even or if you're a defendant and you're charged with something you know the video may come out and absolutely you know rail your your case or your defense Right. You are still entitled as a vic, as a I'm sorry, as a defendant to a fair and impartial jury. So if the police release this video to the news media, oh yeah, you know the defendant was punching that officer multiple times, ten times, twenty times, and they were charged with this. Okay, you have the you as a defendant have the right to an impartial jury who has not seen this video. So, yep. and you know, well, and then sometimes in court, the uh, defense attorney or the prosecutor can lay the groundwork for the jury in a way that they want it, the video presented so that the video has some backstory or whatever. And sometimes by just the video being released on to social media or onto the news, it doesn't give you that backstory. 
So, or maybe a certain clip is used and it doesn't really show exactly what happened or how it happened or what happened before, or what happened after. And it's just being sensationalized on the media. It could hurt, you know, could hurt the prosecution or could hurt the defense. And, and you had as, and we're always in the United States, you're always uh, innocent until proven guilty. So we want to keep that standard high for anybody. Yeah. And that is why transparency transparency, sorry, is an issue going forward that probably isn't going to get solved because you take cases on a case by case basis and the chief of the police or who the district attorney or whoever the head law enforcement officer, they're going to have that decision to make. Do we release the video to the public? Do we not release the video to the public? And more often than not, there's a good legal reason why they don't release it to the public, even though, you know, it could be a highly debated topic or an emotional uh yeah problem yeah i mean it's a tough call and that's that's why they get paid the big bucks and that's why they get uh they get all the the, the attention because in one of those times they might be uh it's a catch-22 you know no matter which way they choose it might be wrong so but yeah so moving on i mean the other problems that that came up uh we already kind of talked about storage if if you don't know already Storage for video takes up massive, massive amounts. And, and you know, our agency, we store everything for 60 days. Bef- and and that, that's with just everyday interaction between, the, you know, the public or dur- handling a call. And then we save everything that has to do with an arrest, a use of force report, a citizen's complaint. So we are saving and storing tons and tons and tons of video forever yeah and a lot of times these departments have to figure out that when you're recording the video okay when does it start recording so is there a a time lapse from when you hit the button to record that it actually started recording before that time so when you're dealing with massive amounts of storage you have to try to figure out you know how are we going to be able to handle all this so our agency you actually you you put in a request to save that video and you do that mostly for you know like frank said in, interactions for, that result in arrests interactions that may result in citizen complaints use of force incidents and uh that becomes a massive amount of dollar figure when you're dealing with all this storage not to mention the amount that it costs to actually keep a recording of it and save it so you, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a quite the significant amount of invested in money and a lot of the, the police departments especially in you know the urban environments you know like look at you know baltimore st louis that they, they may not have the budget to provide for this so they're always looking for grants or outside agencies and firms that helps offset the cost um another issue that comes up with with partially the cost is what if the thing breaks okay so now we have to go replace it that's an additional cost to replace that. The warranty may be out. So now we're dealing with a whole other issue. And it could be just overuse. It could be the officer did something, you know, maybe not on purpose. Oh, if you got a knockdown, drag out fight, you yeah. might broke. Yeah. Yeah. So then, do, the rain, so, then do, rain for then hours. Do, so then if you're in a fight with somebody and they're charged, do we now place a cost on them? I mean, in reality, restitution is going to take a long time for you to, for the department to get reimbursed. Okay. And, uh, one of the other issues we have written down here, uh, pushback from some officers. Now, Frank, in your experience, 
since we've had these body cams for a while now, would you make the statement that, you know, most officers are okay with them? Absolutely. Yeah. Like when we, when we first started with the idea of getting body cameras, I have to say that it was mostly the salty 20 year veterans that had the most pushback and the most discuss, uh, discussed. And most of the younger officers, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 years or younger were for the most part, okay with it. But we've had body cameras now since about 2015, end of 2015, I think it was, maybe it was the beginning of 2015. And uh, I'd say f- most of the officers now actually prefer them and are glad that we have them because, I mean, we get cleared from complaints. We have, it's easy to review for use of force incidents. We have, I mean, just so many things that uh, clear up the air with the body cameras that I don't, you know, I wouldn't get rid of them. And they're absolutely great for cases. And, you know, for all you LEOs out there that are love love to do your DUIs, oh my gosh, there is nothing better than a drunk on body cam footage. It just, and they're in court and they're trying to, you know, claim that they weren't intoxicated. When clearly, (laughs) officer, is that the uh, defendant there falling onto the roadway? Oh, yes, it is. And is that from your body cam? Yes, it is. Okay. So they're, they're great, you know, tools as evidence. Well, I, didn't you have one where a lady said you kicked in her door, ran through her house, like pointed your taser at her baby that was in the pack and play, then broke the front door and ran out for no good reason? Right. And in reality, what I was doing was I was actually I was actually chasing a wanted person. They're the ones that broke in through the door, ran through this lady's house, and uh, ran out the back door and caused all the damage. I just I just pursued the person, <laughs> and then when uh, they tried to file a complaint, it was quickly dismissed when they reviewed the body cam footage of it. So yeah, again, it becomes a really helpful tool in you know lessening uh, citizen complaints. Uh, reviewing use of force incidents and it's great for evidence especially when you get those outruly defendants who are just being knuckleheads or knuckles as my kid says knuckles knuckles i I don't like my i don't like to teach my kid the word knucklehead so i just tell him to say knuckles but um and most importantly some of the one of the biggest problems and again this is kind of the cart before the horse was policy and we we mentioned this briefly, but departmental policy. So that's kind of a overarching uh, discussion point, Frank. But what are some of the issues we run into when creating policy for body camps? Well, you kind of already mentioned it is when to turn it on because some some of the uh, manufacturers of body cameras have them turn them on, turn on automatically with your overhead lights when you're conducting a traffic stop or... Um, but you know, most of the time you're going to actually have to activate it somehow with a uh, press of a button. And the problems that we have is do I, do I need to have it on when I go to jump out and get a cup of coffee? Do I need to turn it on when I'm investigating a crime? Do I have to return it on when I'm in the car responding to a crime that is, you know, a couple blocks away like at what point do, do I need to turn it on? And because what happens is even though it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to you, if you're listening and you're like, well, what's the big deal if I turn it on now or in 30 seconds from now, the issue becomes when 
lo and behold, you forget to turn your body camera on or you didn't, you're in the habit of turning it on when you step out of the car, when you arrive on scene, when next thing you know, now the game is on or the fight is on and your supervisor or the media or whoever it is says, well, why didn't you have your body camera on? And you're going to say, well, Sarge, as soon as I arrived on scene, they were fighting. So I just jumped out and I jumped in to help out that person. Well, that's great. And I believe you, but you know that this could have been avoided if you just would have turned your body camera on while you're responding to the call. Yeah. And so there's some issues that, you know, are getting worked out. Or you left it in a charger at the police station waiting for it to charge because you needed yeah. to download information or download a video from a previous arrest. And you had to run out because an officer needed assistance. These are issues that, you know, sometimes may be a little more vague when the policy is written. Another one that's come up and honestly, it's still a little vague. What do we do if we have to respond to a medical facility? Oh yeah. Because of the HIPAA laws, right? Yeah. You don't want to be recording people's uh, medical charts or their information or the possible um, diseases or anything, anything, any, any medical yeah. problem, you know, it's protected by HIPAA. You don't want to be that guy recording and broadcasting. And, it. and, and the question with that is when we get to a medical facility, at what point are we allowed to record and where does that, where is that line drawn? You know, if we're in the main lobby lobby of the ER, is that different from being in a patient room? I would say so, but that's something that has to get differentiated with policy. And, you know, again, you got to think two well, steps ahead when we're doing the purchasing of the body camps. Well, I think that this is exactly why we, you know, they had that rush and this is some of the problems that came up. Right. Because nobody really thought about some of these until it happened. So, so I guess it kind of brings us up to how they're, what's going on today with body cams. You mean not 1981? Yeah, like 2020. 2020. Welcome to 2020. 2020. Next on 2020. Did you see that? Water. She's dead, isn't she? I don't think so. Really? Yeah. (laughs) That's off topic. (laughs) If if she did pass away, they made fun of her. I mean, maybe they were paying tribute to her on uh, during the ball drop the other night. All right. You start talking. I'm going to look this up. All right. You look it up. Do some, do some real time. This is real time, real time investigation folks. All right. So, so uh, we went over this, uh, we found a report or a research uh, a link to some research that was done here in 2019. So it's pretty darn recent. Actually, I think it was published in October of 2019 where they they wanted to see where body cameras are at now. So the first thing that they looked about looked at was the citizen complaints against police. So what do you think? Do you think citizen complaints post 2014 have gone up or down i would say gone down frank they've gone down correct that's one point for you one point actually we should do uh whose line is it anyway that's a thousand points you got that correct where the points don't matter where the points don't matter okay how about this um why why do you think that the complaints went down well it could be a twofold answer but uh they were dismissed due to actually watching the videos watching the video or if I know, if I hate the police, 
and you were just at my house and you arrested my, my girlfriend. And I know that you had a body camera on the whole time. It's very unlikely for me to come to your sergeant and say, Hey, you know, he came and arrested my girlfriend, but when he did, he, you know, he touched her inappropriately and, you know, called her honey the whole time, which I d thought it was disrespectful or something, you know? So people just can't come in and lie anymore because they see that you have a body camera on and it's going to be easily um, rejected, I guess. Yeah. Uh, another thing, morale's increased because officers actually feel more comfortable wearing them than compared to those who don't wear them. Yeah. So they found that they, they actually asked the, I don't, I think they did uh, like 60 some uh, departments here and they asked all the, the, the officers that, that wore them and didn't wear them. And the officers who wore the body cameras actually felt, uh, had a more positive feeling about body cameras and they felt more uh, comfortable with them too. So it was pretty interesting. And, and yeah. And then conversely, the citizens, if they know that the officer is wearing a body camera, they feel more comfortable. So if you're in the LEO field and you've been working since 2014, uh, some people after watching some of these uh, TV shows or news articles or some of the stuff that's put out on social media, like some people are legit afraid of you on the street, like legit. Like sometimes you'll walk up on a car and they'll be having their hands up and the hands up, don't shoot mentality. And they're say like, I, I don't want to be shot. Okay. Now some people are just being, um, a-holes and Ign people, ignoramus. Yeah. <laughs> some people are just being a pain in the butt and some people are legitimately scared and you can say, Hey, look, I'm wearing a body camera. And it kind of puts them at ease. And that's what the study said, too. That they said that people were put at ease after knowing that the officers were wearing a body camera. So that's good. I would also say, I mean, that, I would also say that as a citizen, I would also think that maybe my police department is more experienced and more highly trained if they're wearing body cams versus a police department that is not. Uh, or, or they've maybe invested the time and money into this. Yeah, I could see that. Like uh, that, they're with the times. They're trying to be again transparent. They're trying to right. uh, give that sense of uh, community. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, but there are also some privacy concerns that have arisen from uh, body cams. And what are those, Frank? So, so the privacy concerns. We kind of talked about this when we talked about cats versus the united states and so cats versus the united states again to in case you didn't pick up on it or you're just joining us in, joining us now is people have the right uh in the fourth amendment they have the right to i'm sorry here what am i missing i they have Oh, messed up completely on there, but um, cut that out. Fourth, edit that. The, yeah, edit. All right, three, two, one. All right, back in. So, <laughs> people have the expectation of privacy. For example, if I go and I have my body camera recording and it's recording audio and video, and I'm talking to somebody in their home, they might have an expectation of privacy in their home that they don't expect to have anything that they say used against them 
or they think it's only going to be between them and the officer. Or say that you're at their house and you tell them to call somebody and put them on speakerphone. If you don't let that person know on speakerphone that you're recording them, that person who's speaking believes that they are having a private conversation. And therefore, you could possibly be violating their Fourth Amendment rights. Now, this uh, the United States, uh, we have different states with different rules. And from our research, we found that there were, let me see here, there were 11 states that require a two-party consent. So when they talk about this consent, if I call Patrick up on the phone and I say, when we start talking and I talk about how I think he's the one who stole the last uh, peppermint patty from the break room. Oof. Yeah, I know. It's like 25 cents for this little ones. So if, I, if I'm talking about that, because, and say I have the police there listening in, in, a, uh, in many states, just having one party's consent, my consent, would be enough for them to record uh, Patrick over the, over the phone. In 11 states, there are requirements for both parties to consent to be recorded. So in this same conversation about this peppermint patty being stolen, uh, Patrick would need to be notified that he's also being recorded. And then, and then once he, and obviously as like a police standpoint, as soon as Patrick's notified that the police are recording this, or even if I just tell him, hey, I'm just going to record this phone call. But he's planning on saying anything. Let me ask you a question, Frank. So what if I have my body cam on, I'm responding to a uh, call at uh at uh you know a residence for some unknown reason okay and i'm inside i'm you know abiding by our policy uh i'm doing everything that i'm supposed to be doing but for some unknown reason another person inside the residence starts making a phone call or goes on speakerphone without my knowledge of doing that would that be something that i would be in violation of well, I'm no law professor here, but I would say that you would not be in violation there because your intent is not to jam them up. You have a good faith violate or a good faith exception that you didn't intend to do that. But what's your take on it? I mean, I would say it was a good faith exception as far as, right. you know, I wasn't intending for myself to record somebody else's phone call, you know, a good alert, astute you know, LEO might say, Hey, do you mind taking that conversation somewhere else? Or, you know, if you, or if they're not going to do that, Hey, I'm letting you know that I'm going to be turning off my body cam because you're on the phone call and I don't want to get jammed up. But Well, and you know what, ever since, uh, you know, we had this mad rush into body cameras in 2014 and 2015, and we ran into these problems and we were way ahead of the legislature in many States that had these strict two-party consent uh, laws. So I believe that most of these states that have uh, strict two-party consent laws for audio recordings have made exceptions now regarding to police body-worn cameras. So, you know, it's like you said earlier, we put the cart before the horse. We kind of did things. This was the wild west of body cameras back in like 2014 or 15 because – 
we didn't know what the heck we were doing and why we were doing it. And, you know, some people may have gotten jammed up because of that. Um, another privacy concern, you didn't touch on facial recognition, did you? Uh, no. No. Well, you're more experienced than that. So why don't you discuss that? So it's 2020 and facial recognition has been around for a while now, a while now, like probably 10 years commercially. And uh, over the years, the government agencies have really picked up on this. Now, I'm, I'm sure that some government agencies that are super like, uh, like the CIA and stuff, I'm sure they've had the NSA. Yeah. NSA, yeah. They've probably had Which, this. By the way, NSA, you can look at my emails all, all you want. I don't really care. Yeah, if you're protecting us okay. from that, whatever you're doing, yeah, you look at look at all my emails. Listen to the uh, podcast. They're, they're invigorating. Yeah. yeah, they're probably listening right now. <laughs> but uh, basically, the government, uh, you know, police agencies, since we're wearing these body cameras now, I mean, there's a potential for some government agencies to collect that information, like we have to with storage, and then you could possibly analyze the faces that you have on there and identify who's in front of you. Now, for the most part, you know, this isn't some, uh, you know, 1984 uh, thing happening here where you have big brother watching over your shoulder and just analyzing every, every person that we walk down the street. This is specific times when we're on scene and, you know, using that information to get a facial recognition. But again, we're in our agency and the, and the, uh, the government agency that governs our facial recognition policies, you have to have a specific investigation going on pertaining to a crime before you're allowed to use their facial recognition system. And if you don't, you could possibly be banned and your whole agency banned. So you're talking many, many, I mean, you would cripple an agency if you, if you failed to abide by their policy. And some other uh, information now is this perception that if it's not on body cam, it didn't happen. And is that always the case? No. Absolutely not. No. And uh, Frank and I actually, we had the privilege of going to a training maybe about a year ago, a year and a half ago. I think it was just a year ago. It was taught by this individual who's a former LEO who now runs this like digital video company. And it's amazing the amount of information that we perceive from a video is not necessarily true. We're talking like distance. We're talking uh, the view. We're talking what we perceive. Like, like how the frame renders. Right. I mean, really technical stuff about how videos right. are made and stored and depending on what type of device you have and what type of storage and what type, how they decide to render the video, it may look like one thing when it is something completely different. And the guy's, the guy's information was flawless. It was awesome and eye-opening. Yeah. So, so the, the narrative that just because it's not on body cam doesn't mean it didn't happen. It could have happened. You know, we still, still have to rely on testimony Okay, from individuals, most crimes are so, so solved by a person saw B person do this, or a person saw B person do this to C person. Okay, that's still direct evidence testimony, and that's where we get into you know the oath and why we go to a witness stand and are called to testify. 
we as officers do the same. Yes. So what, one interesting thing, and this just, uh, this, this came out where Tennessee has proposed uh, a law and I think, uh, this is real time research folks. Yeah. Real time research. I'm, I'm looking, I saw it, I saw it like a couple days ago and I decided, well, I, we already had this episode planned, so it was perfect. But, but basically Tennessee law would make it a felony for police officers to disable their body cameras. Now, social media, the way I saw this again, you know, how social media is, they, 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 some people want to blow this out of proportion. And the way that they portrayed this article was that if you did not, if you could not provide body camera video, you would be, you could be charged with a felony, but the specific, yeah, I know the specific law says that it's like, okay, Patrick and I are going to this fight call and I'm like, Hey man, let's turn off our body cams and fuck this shit up. Like, like we're gonna, <laughs> like, like that's, that's what this thing is for that there, there, these, like there's intent. There's intent to mislead or misrepresent or deceive. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. So th- th- it's it's uh and and I kind I agree with that. Like if you, you know, Patrick and I have been in this uh, profession now for eleven eleven years, and um, we're really proud of the profession. And we're really proud of what we do. And for anybody who's going to take and tarnish the badge by turning off their body camera so they can throw some punches that aren't needed or do something that's wrong. We're completely for like, right. Hey, just get them off the job. Right. They're not meant to be here. But it's important for you guys, the audience to understand that there are instances where we may not, I wouldn't say we turning on the body cam may not be the most immediate thing we're going to do. You know, let's say, you have a traffic stop or uh, cut that one out. Cause the traffic stop, you're probably going to have your body cam on or M- right. MVR, but you know, you get, you're just driving down the street or how about that video from that uh, Philly cop where he was stopped at a red light and some guy comes into the, the uh, passenger window and just starts shooting at him. In reality, you're not going to have your body cam on because you, you had no idea that was coming. Okay. Yeah. Now, lucky for him, there were there were street street cameras and all that information. But your MVR is not going to work, which through your vehicle, your dash cam, your your body cam. There are going to be times where stuff happens instantaneously that you're not going to be able to get a chance to record. Now, that's not as prevalent uh, in, in our profession, but it happens. And unfortunately, a, a lot of those experiences are those experiences that result in high profile incidents, use of force incidents, shootings, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we did hope you enjoyed yeah. uh, the, the topic discussion today. Yep. Yep. I think that was a good one because it's, uh, everybody should be wearing body cams. Actually, I just heard the other day too, that there's a push from the ACLU. Now this is completely unvetted information, possibly hearsay. Actually, it is hearsay <laughs> that the ACLU is not, happy with yeah body which is funny because they kind of come like full circle they were like the first ones to push for it and now they're like oh well now people are getting their rights infringed on with all that it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too aclu all right yeah yeah either you want to cameras or you don't yeah so anyway like to thank you guys for listening again this is the topic about body cams and audio and visual scorecard discuss a lot of policy issues 
hopefully you learned something. You think you think they learned something, Frank? Yeah, I mean, between the 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 case law, the word of the day, the body camera stuff, I hope somebody learned something, or at least has such a fit about what we said that they they get a hold of us on uh, Instagram, the Elio Sideshow, or uh, Twitter at L underscore Sideshow. So listen, we would like to hear from you. Uh, we're actually planning on doing an interview on the next episode. We're not really sure yet who that's going to be or what our topic is going to be yet, but uh, we want to hear from you. So tell us if you like it, tell if you, if you don't like it, uh, give us a like, follow, tell your friends, whatever you want to do. But uh, the more exposure, the more, the better it is. So go ahead and do something with it. Yeah. Thanks for listening folks. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.